Well, we know through Scripture that we can date back human history 6,000 years from where we are right now. And there's no question that the most epic day in human history in these last 6,000 years was the day that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. On the first day of the week, and therefore because of that we come every first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But today we're going to open the text of Scripture in the book of Mark chapter 16 and I want to be able to walk you through the the sequence of events and from a historical perspective but also I believe it will challenge our hearts today and I pray that if you're not someone yet that calls upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that you don't know him that way and have a personal relationship with Jesus that today is the day your relationship with Jesus will begin and your eternal life would begin today and that's one of the great powers of the resurrection. And matter of fact, that power of the resurrection is what I'm going to be speaking on on Easter Sunday. So I want to encourage all of you to invite guests to come with you. Because we're not only going to talk about the event of the resurrection, but what is the power of the resurrection and how it transforms our lives. What we know happens in our life today, but also into all of eternity. And so make sure you're here, but bringing people with you to hear that truth as well. I want to kind of map out a few things for you this morning of things you can anticipate coming up because we're coming to the end of our study of the book of Mark, which is an exciting thing. We've been in this book for over a year now, and I hope you have learned as much as I have, and God's blessed your heart with it. But as we're going forward from here, next week, Lord willing, we will finish the book of Mark. And because we study today this resurrection, next week what we're going to look at is what God gives us in terms of a mission and taking the good news of this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to the rest of the world. And so next week we're going to look at the commission that Jesus has given to us and the, the, the magnitude, the gravity of that, and the fact that here we are 2,000 years later after this resurrection day, and here we are still talking about it and living in the power and reality of it. In addition to that, uh, the week after, I plan to share with our church just uh, some direction when it comes to our ministry because God has given us this great mission to take the gospel into the world. There's a lot of things that are involving us as a church and how we engage in our community and engage in our world. And so there's things that we need to understand as a church in our, in our leadership and how we function as leaders in our ministry. And so I look forward to being able to share that with you as well. And that, that day will serve as a preparation day because on April 2nd, it's going to be a really special day for our church. On April 2nd, we are, uh, Lord willing, we're planning to ordain as a lay pastor, Mr. David Mercer, as a lay pastor of our church. David has been obviously a teacher, pastor, or te uh, as a teacher in our church now for these last three plus years, nearly four years since our church began. Faithful teacher. And I want to be able to share with you, why are we doing that? And I'm going to talk to you about that in a couple of weeks from now. But the gravity of this, of how God gives to the church for the purpose of developing the work of the ministry, God gives pastors and teachers to teach and train people for the work of the ministry. God gives pastors to the church for the sake of, of counsel and, and, and shepherding and oversight. And so uh, we have, for the last many months, have been discussing this, praying about this, and now it's time to engage this. And I look forward to that day as a church family. This will be significant for us, and I, and I will walk us to that as we get there scripturally so we understand what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing. 
One of the things I wanted to share with you today as well is uh, just where are we when it comes to our facility and looking forward to that project as well. Well, we have several uh, banks right now and loaning institutions that are competing, which is a wonderful thing if you're on our end of it, but they've looked at all of our financial information and concluded that we are a, a very good, uh, a good loan. And so right now we're waiting to get back all of these different uh, banks and their, their ideas about what that would look like. And so then our trustees will uh, review all those materials and then make a decision about which lending institution we will choose to do business with going forward with our project. Meanwhile, our architect and our uh, builder are working together to uh, get the final set of drawings and pricing and everything together so that it matches the budget that we have so that we can proceed. So Lord willing, all of this is gonna manifest over these next few weeks and months and I'll, I'll share it with you as fast as I know it but that's where we are right now. And I, I wished all this moved fast. And I, I have a pace that this could be going, but not, it is not going that way. And so I uh, impatiently wait on this every single day and wanting more information that just doesn't ever come. So anyway, I know you do the same waiting for me to tell you something. And I've exhausted to you everything I know about it at this point. So now we're, now we're good. I want you to open the Bibles today to the book of Mark in the book of Mark chapter 16. To get you to the place where we are in our text of scripture today, to the resurrection day, we have to go by way of the crucifixion first. I shared with you last week the sequence of events that led to Jesus being crucified on the cross. And at the end of our time together last Sunday, Jesus was eventually put into a, a borrowed tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, came and pleaded with Pilate, the governor, for the body of Jesus and was granted permission to take that body and put it into his tomb. Nicodemus, who was another religious leader, also came and pleaded that he might join in that burial as well and anoint the body of Jesus with burial spices. And as we left last Sunday, we left with Jesus in the tomb. But of course, we know the end of the story, and it's the fun part to talk about, is the fact that our whole lives now are impacted by the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it is what truly sets apart our God. Every religious figure on the face of the earth can lay claim to a lot of things, but none of them have risen from the dead. Our God is alive. Our God has witnesses of his, res of his resurrection, and therefore, that's what I want to share with you today. How can we be so sure? This happened 2,000 years ago. We take all of our information from a book, and so how can we be so sure? Well, we can definitely look at the witnesses. God has recorded multiple witnesses of an event. Scripture teaches that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word of the Lord is established. And so we have the witnesses of four different gospel writers who look at this from different vantage points. And so we'll reference each one of them. But not only that, there were people that were not necessarily Christ followers at the scene that also bore witness of this resurrection and could give testimony of it and we're going to see that as well. So let's go to Mark chapter 16 and see what happens. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome 
bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Now we know Jesus' body was already anointed by Nicodemus on the burial day. But they come now on the third day, what we now know as the resurrection day. But they've come to anoint his body again and to show their devotion. Now, there's also a concern. There's a concern here because Jesus was crucified as a criminal. Remember, he was hung between two thieves. And because he was a, known to be then a criminal and put into a tomb, it would be typical that they would take him from that tomb and then cast his body into the Valley of Gehenna, which is the Valley of Ashes. And these ladies are coming, wanting to anoint his body, but also wanting to take that body and put it in another place. Very concerned, we'll find out here in a moment, when his body's not there, of where is it? And that's a huge concern, is that Jesus' body has been taken to the place of destruction in the Valley of Gehenna. But now this tomb is open in Matthew 28. We'll go to Matthew's gospel and find out. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Now, we remember that whenever Jesus was placed into the tomb, they rolled the big stone in front and then set a seal on this to secure this, this tomb. So soldiers were placed in front of there. These were temple guards that were sent by the Sanhedrin, the religious council. And they had gone to Pilate requesting that this, would, this tomb would be guarded. The reason for it is because Jesus had already made statement publicly now that he would be crucified and would raise again. So this rumor that this guy could raise again, they feared this. Because the religious leaders knew that if this guy's body seemingly is resurrected, this problem would be way bigger than the fact that we crucified him. So they set watch and had guards stand there. But now these guards, whenever this angel appears, this earthquake comes, shakes the earth, really shakes it at its core, rolls, and the angel now rolls this stone away, and the very appearance of this angel that shows up on the scene causes these guys to pass out cold. They're terrified, and they literally fainted on the spot. Well, now, they're going to get up and move on, and we'll pick that back up with them here in a few minutes, but these ladies are now coming to the tomb that have come that have these prepared spices, Then they're going to show up here at daylight, and when they get there, this stone is rolled away. But now you can imagine these ladies are coming and knowing the heavy nature of this rock. They've got soldiers now there, and they want to anoint this body, but they're going to have to figure out how we're going to get this stone rolled back. So we get to see in the, in the scriptures, let you know what they're thinking. Mark chapter 16, verse 2. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? And when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? Matter of fact, if you compare this to Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel said that these angels also made this statement, Why do you look for the living among the dead? 
And they even quoted what Jesus has told them. Jesus has told them on multiple occasions that the Son of Man would go to Jerusalem. He would be delivered into the hands of sinners. He would be crucified. And then he would raise again on the third day. And so the angels declared this to them. He told you this before. But verse 7 says, But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. Key phrase. Jesus has already explained to the disciples before he ever went to the cross that he would be crucified and that he will raise again and I will meet you in Galilee. He had already told them all this. But something I want us to catch today. On seven different occasions, Jesus has given the heads up to these guys that this is going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. His son of man will be delivered into the hands of sinners. He will be crucified and he will raise again. And on one of the last times, he told him, and by the way, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Go there. I'll meet you there. In each occasion, the disciples did not catch what Jesus said. They hear it with their ear, but they don't hear it with their heart and generally with their mind. And I'm like, well, how come it is that they keep hearing Jesus say this, but they don't catch it? And I made an observation. How many times in my own life have I heard the word of God and a promise from the scripture that somehow in the midst of trouble and trial, I don't seem to remember? And then somewhere a witness will bear witness of God's truth, whether it's a preacher or friend the Holy Spirit, our comforter and helper and reminder will come and remind us of the truth. But I was observing the disciples. In each occasion, Jesus was forewarning them and let foretelling them of what was going to happen. They were self-absorbed. Well, who's going to be the greatest? And who's going to sit here? And what was going on with them? And after all, Lord, if this is what's going to happen to you, then I'm with you to the finish line. You don't have to worry about me. In each case, it was a lot of self-absorption and because of it, completely missing the promise. And I realized something about me. When I get focused about my circumstances and myself and my thing... I miss the promises of God and I'm not focused on those promises and clinging to them because I'm thinking just about me. The disciples struggle here as well and he said that send them, tell them I'm going to meet them in Galilee as he said to you. So they went out quickly, fled from the tomb for they trembled and were amazed for they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So these ladies take off go in a hurry Mary Magdalene, it would appear, would have moved along faster than the rest. And so now there's a report that's going to come to the disciples of what has happened. That this stone is removed and Jesus' body's not there. And back in Luke chapter 24, it says this, Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. They didn't believe them. 
Even though Jesus has told him and foresaid, foretold them multiple times this was going to be this way, and now these ladies come and share with them, the stone was rolled away. These angels were there. You're not going to believe what we saw, what, we, what we've heard. And they give the report, and the guys were like, no, I'm not buying it. It would appear, though, that Mary Magdalene had, had gone ahead and, and sought out Peter and John. And Peter and John, as soon as they heard, they took off running. So we'll catch up to their story now in John chapter 20. Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciples and were going to the tomb. They both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. John is the writer of this gospel, and so instead of being arrogant and saying, I outran Peter, he, he goes third person here, so he's not being cocky. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, and yet did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as, it, as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now, this is one of the incredible evidences of the resurrection. Is what Peter and John observed when they went in. Is the, cl the claws that they had wrapped Jesus in, which would be typical, were laying there. And the napkin that would have wrapped around his head was not laying with the rest, but was set in order away from the rest and even folded into itself carefully. Obviously, if thieves had come to take the body of Jesus, they wouldn't have been so careful to make sure all the claws are there and the napkins over here and do all that. No, they're going to be hustling out of there. So it was obvious there was no big hurry moment taking place here. The body wasn't stolen, as was proclaimed later. But not only that, when Peter and John went in and they saw this, John said that this clicked with him and he believed. When he saw it, now he believed. Peter still wasn't sure of what just happened here. And because it says right here that they did not know the scripture. Though it has been stated, and what they're struggling to grasp is what the Old Testament has said all along through all of the prophecies that the Son of Man must suffer before he is glorified. And they struggled to grasp this reality, not only that of what Jesus actually had told them in advance of what was going to happen. And they struggled to believe. Well, now, Jesus is going to start making appearances to individuals. Up to now, we've seen an empty tomb. We've seen angels. But we haven't seen Jesus yet. So now Jesus is going to start making appearances to people. In Mark 16, 9, he makes his appearance to Mary Magdalene. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept, and when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen by their her, they didn't believe her. Well, now let's go back into John's gospel and see about this exchange when she gets to see and meet Jesus. John chapter 20. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. 
And she saw two angels in white sitting, and one at the head and other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because you've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where you've laid him. And I want you to notice just the way the first time when they had this interchange with these angels, the ladies all just fell down to like worship. And these angels came along and said, Hey, fear not. It's okay. You're seeking the, the dead among the living. But now, Mary Magdalene goes back. Peter and John have come there. They surveyed the situation. And Mary Magdalene goes back to that tomb again. Where's Jesus? And she is very upset. You can tell here. She is weeping and sobbing her eyes out because Jesus isn't there. And I don't know where he is. And what if they took him off? And the gardener has removed him, or they've taken him down to the valley of Gehenna. Where is he? But when the angel now speaks with her in this case, you don't see her falling down in fear. Now she's having an, an exchange. It's obvious she's seen this before. In verse 14 says, Now when she had said this, she or he said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Well, she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. You can tell she just falls down and grabs hold of him. And said, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This is not Jesus shrugging her off and casting her away and making her feel ridiculous. She is clutching to him, not wanting to let him go, and understandable. But he is letting her know something that's so important for us. He said, I have not yet ascended to my Father. He is going to soon ascend to the Father which means he will be seated at the right hand of the Father, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus at the right hand of the Father now is the way to the Father. We know this from John chapter 14 where Jesus made this statement that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus then becomes the pathway to the Father. There's no access to the throne, to the Father himself without Jesus. Someone may say, well, I believe in God, just not into the whole Jesus thing, not so convinced. My friend, if that's you, you say you believe in God, but you don't believe in Jesus, eternity, in eternity, you will be separate from God. Because the way to God is through Jesus. God gave His only begotten Son to pay our sin debt, and He paid it in full on the cross of Calvary. And we can be assured that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in glory because He rose from the grave alive. We can be confident today that Jesus Christ is victor over sin. He never sinned. He is victor over death because He rose again. And He is the only one who can grant eternal life because He's the only one who died and now lives. So only He can give eternal life. 
He is the access to the Father. Not only is he access, but he's the advocate with the Father. As you and I struggle in this life and we pray, you know who's praying on our behalf? Jesus does. He's our advocate. He's also our mediator. But not only that, he is also our fellowship with the Father. We have fellowship with the Father because of the Son. And Jesus told her, but go to my brethren now and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And he just affirmed fellowship and relationship with her that's eternal. That's very reassuring and securing. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. This is the first report of anyone who has actually seen Jesus. And that he had spoken these things to her. You know, in the culture of that day, the fact that something of this significance would be revealed to a woman first and that a woman would come in proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. She's the first to proclaim his resurrection. She's the first one to have seen Jesus. This is massive in significance. Not only for the message at hand, but because of the messenger. That God would choose to reveal himself to a woman who would now come and make this declaration first. In that culture especially, that would seemingly be impossible. But God did that. There were so many things that shifted in in culture from the time of the resurrection to where you and I are at today because of the, the equality of people and where women are placed when it comes to life and ministry and the family of God and the way things function, so much has shifted and changed. And you see the transition of that from even the Old Testament into the New. It's one of the things that a lot of gospel writers, a lot of uh, writers that are examining Scripture, even ones that don't even believe the Bible, can't help but notice the fact that there's such a shift in the Scriptures and such a, an accent has been placed on women and an exaltation of women when it comes to Jesus' own ministry and how women are called out over and over again throughout Jesus' ministry. And the Apostle Paul does the exact same. Through the formation of the church and now the multiplication of the church, we get to see women functioning in ministry and proclaiming the gospel and preaching even when it comes to a husband and wife combo team. We get to see it distinctly. This is a massive shift that takes place in this moment. And not only that, then Jesus appears to the other women who came seeking to put spices on his buried body as well. In Matthew 28, verse 9, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and beheld him by the feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me, just as he said they would. And now Jesus has now been, he's been revealed to Mary Magdalene first. Now he's been revealed to that group of women that came to anoint his body. But what about those guys that were guarding the tomb? Whatever happened to those dudes? Let's go see. Matthew 28. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. 
When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while he slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. This is quite a trick. These guys are put in a tough spot. You've got two soldiers now that were standing guard and were put in trust to guard that. They know full well what happened. They came and reported it. Well, now what are we going to do? Jesus said that he would resurrect. It would seem that he did. So as opposed to even investigating further, as opposed to believing that this is true and the testimony of these guards, now pay them some hush money instead. But these guys already know this is a huge problem. They have been entrusted as guards, so now to come along and say that the disciples stole the body while we were sleeping? A guard doesn't sleep on duty. They get charged with dereliction of duty and off their head goes. And so now they're told, hey, don't you worry. If this ever makes it up to the, the ears of the governor, we'll get, we got you covered. We'll financially take care of it. We'll make sure everything is secure. These two guards have now just placed their entire lives into the hands of these religious leaders whom they know lied and crucified this man who was innocent. And not only that, they now have given testimony. Dude, we saw the stone roll away and these guys in white shining garments, they look like angels to us. I don't know what we're supposed to call them, but all I know is they terrified me. And, and now they're just getting paid off. And now they're told, you just keep the story going that this is what the disciples did. They came and stole this body in the night. And that story was commonly told. And that story was being commonly told as you also have people now proclaiming, I've seen Jesus. Big trouble came for those who tried to uphold the lie. It didn't hold any water. Well, now Jesus is going to make his appearance to two more. There were two disciples that were followers of Christ who had been in Jerusalem during the whole weekend of Passover, so they would have observed this crucifixion. They've now heard from women, these women that have now said that Jesus wasn't in the tomb. They didn't yet hear the testimony that he maybe had risen again or that they have seen him. These guys are now on the road to Emmaus, going back hometown. And as they're walking, they're perplexed. Their hearts are broken, and they don't know what happened. And as they're discussing that, Jesus shows up right beside them. And he had transfigured himself in a way that they didn't recognize him in a glorified state. And so now he's walking along beside him and asking him, why are you so upset? And they're like, you obviously aren't from around here and weren't a part of the weekend experience. And, they be, and he's like, well, explain it to me. And they go into an explanation of what just happened. And they were like, well, and we, we saw this guy as a prophet of God. And we, we believed he was the Messiah. We, 
we thought he was our redeemer. And as they continue to walk, they finally get close to Emmaus and, and Jesus then reveals himself to them. And they become believing. They have now borne witness, eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus Christ. Mark records this in Mark 16, 12, said after that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country and they went and told it to the rest, but they didn't believe them either. So these two guys have now met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They finally understand and Jesus walks them through the scripture of how the Son of Man must suffer, then be glorified. And they're like, oh, wow, I got it. And now they realize it's Jesus and they turn and bolt and head straight back to Jerusalem to go tell the other disciples, hey, we've seen the resurrected Jesus. Well, they get back and tell him and those guys are like, I'm not buying. I, I'm so glad you guys are saying all that, but I'm not buying. Well, then we pick the story up within a very short time of this testimony. We've had Mary Magdalene has seen the resurrected Jesus. The group of women have seen Him. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus have now seen Him and are all bearing witness and the disciples are now huddled into a room that's a secure place because it was dangerous for them to openly identify with Jesus in Jerusalem right then. So they're in this secure room and Jesus is going to show up on the scene. John chapter 20. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that he had, they had seen a spirit. They were not convinced that this was Jesus, but maybe a ghost or a spirit outside of the, the body. They weren't sure what this was. It just scared them to death. Now, remember, they've seen something like this before. Remember when the disciples were out in the boat? The time when Peter walked on water? And Jesus had come to them walking on the water, and they all were terrified when they saw that, like, a spirit. They didn't know what to think of that. And then Jesus was like, hey, don't be afraid. It's me. Well, this is another situation like that. They see him, but they're not sure what this is about. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Handle me and see, for the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? It's like, that seems so just laid back. It's like, hey, you got any sandwiches in the fridge? Well, he's showing them something here because they're still not convinced and he can see they're struggling through this reality that he's not just a spirit, a, a ghost. No, it's me. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's me. They're still not buying. So he asked them to get some food. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb and he took it and ate it in their presence and they were like, Whoa! This is Him. This is Him. Now we learn something here. That Jesus in His glorified state is still able to consume food. There's a material, a material body to Him. This isn't just a ghost-like figure. Well, this is encouraging because you know whenever 
There's a day coming when we will all receive a glorified body. There's a day coming when either Jesus is going to come and capture us away, boom, and we're out of here, we get a glorified body, or you may pass away and we'll have a funeral and put your body in the ground, or you'll get eaten by sharks, or something will happen, okay? But either way, however it all goes down for you, there's a day coming when you will get a glorified body. It's the second resurrection, or it's the resurrection for you and me. When this resurrection happens, we literally get a glorified, live-on-forever body. Now, I watch what happens here with Jesus. He's recognizable. Well, that's cool. We might, would recognize one another. It's kind of that. That's why you see the family reunion style in heaven. That sounds amazing. But there's also there's a materialness about him that here he is consuming food in the presence of them. And, you know, in 1 John, John makes this record. He says, you know, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called sons of God. And he said, it does not yet appear what we will be, but we know this. We will be like him when we see him as he is. We'll be like him. And so here's Jesus in a, a material bodily form, glorified to the place that, guys, he just went through the wall. It would be like none of the doors opening and poof, here he is right here in this room. How do you do that? Because, well, he can do that. You know what's really amazing? We'll be able to do that too. I think that's cool. In fact, you get to see in the book of Zechariah when there's a huge war that's coming that we rush on the city and run on the walls. I think that sounds really cool to be able to run vertically up a wall and then run on top of the wall. I think that sounds amazing. We will be in a battle where swords will not even penetrate our body. And if they did, it was fine because it, it won't hurt anyway. These are amazing stories to realize in the scripture of things yet to come that's hard sometimes for our minds to grasp, but the scripture teaches us this glorified body that we will one day have, and we see now Jesus sitting down to confirm, it's me, guys, and he eats in their presence. And the last thing is there was one guy that was missing. One of the disciples wasn't there, and so we know it's Thomas, and he wasn't in the room that night. So he gets the report from all these other guys, and they're like, he's, he's not buying this at all. And so now Jesus shows up a week later and lets Thomas see him as well. John chapter 20. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. No evidence that he actually poked his fingers in there or shoved his fist in. He just saw and believed. And this is very important. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me and have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Which is most of us in this room, and I could say for me for sure. I have never seen Jesus face to face. but I believe. I believe the record of Scripture that Jesus died, buried, and rose again. I can watch from the, from the beginning of my Bible all the way through the storyline to watch God's plan to redeem me from my sin and know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was given for me to pay my sin debt and He rose from the grave alive confirming He is God. God. 
I believe that is true, though I have never seen. And what Scripture teaches me here, blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. And I can tell you that's the joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. To be able to with confidence walk in this life knowing that when you take your last breath, you're in the presence of God Almighty. Why? Because I come through Jesus Christ the Lord. I'm with Him. To know that while I'm walking in this life, the Lord is with me. That He made the promise of the Holy Spirit to live in my life, to live in me. The very person of God. So I am never going to be left nor forsaken. The Comforter is always with me. My Helper is always with me. My Teacher, who is the one who will teach me the Scriptures so that I might know to illuminate my understanding so I can know the truth of God's Word, He's always with me. The one who will guide me in wisdom, who will convict me of sin, He's always with me. The one that heals your physical body when it's broken, He's with, you. He's with me. And if God chooses not to heal in that moment, He's still there to, to be your helper and to be your strength. He's always with me. And so to be then absent from the body is just to be present with the Lord. And to be secure in that. And where does this security come from? This confidence Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And so we go to the record of Scripture. And the reason I walked you through this this morning is just a, a historical, chronological sequence of things to see the witnesses that God has given repeatedly. And we know from the Scripture as well that more, not only these saw Jesus, but more than 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus Christ and then saw Him ascend into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And we can stand here today assured of that truth. And the question for all of us today is, do you believe it? The key word is blessed are those who have not seen, yet believed. Believing in this case is the word connected to the word trust. It's not just giving a mental assent that an event has happened somewhere in history. The secular record books would say that. But no, believing here is a connection word to the word trust, which means I'm trusting Jesus to save me from my sin because I can't save myself. I'm trusting that He is God. I'm trusting that He did raise again and that He is the only one that has the power to give eternal life. He's it. There's no one else. And so my question to you today do you believe Him? Do you trust Him? Have you called upon His name? Have you received Him as your Savior?